Let me start by just asking you a question. Do you want to get to heaven? Like, think about it. I don't, I don't, I don't just mean like, you know, if there's two choices and you got hell or heaven, like, you know, obviously I don't want that one, so yeah, duh, I want that one. I want you, like, are you eager to get there? Like, are you longing for it? You look forward to that day. Are you, are you eager for that coming moment? Let me ask it this way. What emotion or feeling stirs in you when you think about the coming of Christ, the return of Christ? And I think it's helpful to think about it that way because when we think about the return of Christ, it sort of carries with it this idea of our life getting cut short, right? Because if we think about where we're going to go when we die, we're, we're sort of considering, okay, well, we've had our time on earth, however long that was, and, and now that that's over, I'm glad to sort of have my ticket punched to the good place, right? But when we think about him coming back, it sort of carries this weight of like, oh, well, like, my life's not yet done. I remember as a kid, even after I, be, even after I was saved and I, I kind of knew the hope beyond death and, and beyond Christ's return, when, when the pastor would talk about that, talk about the return of Christ, talk about the second coming or the end times and those sorts of things, fear would, would be, like, I would have fear and, and anxiety and confusion, to be sure, but then also this sense of loss, right? Like, I would feel like, yeah, I know that's good, but, like, I'm not quite done here, you know? Um, and I say all this because, depending on the tradition that you were brought up in, uh, you, you may have been taught about heaven, maybe directly, maybe indirectly through the songs you sang, or maybe through direct teachings, um, in a way that sort of shaped your view of what it would be that, if you're honest, you're not sure that, like, you really want to go there, right? Like, if you had to pick between what you have now and what you view heaven will be, for some of us, we got to be honest, like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm you know, that excited to get out of, the, you know, because, and here's why. For a lot of us, heaven is filled with this idea of kind of what the video, like of cherubim and, you know, we got wings and halos and, and harps. And really, it's just this sense of, for a lot of us, we kind of think that we're in line to get our robe and join the eternal choir where we're going to sing courses forever, right? And if I'm honest, that's not that exciting to me. Anybody else? Like, and, and this is this idea of this, this spiritual dis, disconnected, uh, you know, place that we go to spend. That, that's rooted not in biblical understanding, but actually in, in, in Gnosticism and Neoplatonism and lots of other dangerous isms um, that we won't talk a ton about today. But really sort of those, this idea that the body and the material world is bad and that our hope is to transcend it with the, the pure part of us, right? The soul part of us, which can, uh, you know, go and be with God and and. and Reading things, reading the Bible through that lens can lead to some pretty fundamental misunderstandings about what God is doing in the big story. So we're in, a, in the middle of a series called Kingdom Come, which is inspired by Jesus, the, the prayer that he mentioned in the video earlier of Jesus saying that we should pray, ask God in heaven to bring his kingdom, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And, and really what we're trying to do in this series is look at what does that mean? Right? What, is that, what does that look like for us to pray that and participate in that? And so we've, we've been tracing this theme of kingdom throughout the Scripture from a pretty broad you know, viewpoint. You could spend uh, a couple semesters in, in college or seminary really looking at that theme fully, but from a, a, a pretty 
30,000-foot uh, view, we've looked at the kingdom throughout the movement of God in the Scripture. And today we're going to look at the end, right? We're going to look at, we're going to fast forward to what, what is that, the final culmination of that look like. And, and the big idea of our series is understanding our present in light of God's future. So understanding today and what we're called to and how we're supposed to spend our time in light of the future that God is, is, is accomplishing and what is our role in it. So, um, after, so then after today, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about the implications of our life today and, and you know, this age in light of this, in light of what God is, is accomplishing in Revelation 21. What does it look like for us to flesh that out, to live out our part of the kingdom coming? And then the last week of our series, we're just going to look at some of the frequently asked questions of a topic like this. Again, a lot of times people miss the big idea of of the end and what God is going to accomplish because we get caught up on the details of, of order of things, right? Well, is this going to happen? Is there a rapture? And if so, when does it happen? Is there tribulation first and millennial reign first? And then does he come or we come somewhere in here and where do we get Martin? And it's just all of these things that can get really confusing and nobody really knows, but lots of people act like they know and, and then we're even more confused. And so, and then all that, we can just miss the big idea. So we're going to look at the big idea today. And then the last day, we will talk about some of the some of the, uh, the more frequently asked questions. But actually, I want to invite you to something uh, to help me with that on that last sermon. I uh, actually want to invite you to send me some questions. So as we talk about stuff today, particularly to, some of the stuff today might be new to you. Uh, the video, like, like that might be new content to you. It might be um, you know, sort of unsettling to you in some ways. And so I want to invite you to ask questions about this topic and the, you know, uh, the kingdom come and the end times and, and those sorts of things. What is it that you want to know? So if you go to your app, you go to this weekend, there's a, there's a button there where you can hit questions and you can email anonymously. Well, we're not going to like next week, well, Jacob Blue asked this question. We're not going to say that. We'll just say, hey, these are one of the questions. And so if you want to send in your questions, please do that. You can even do that while we're thinking of them today. Um, and so I want to invite you to that. And then, and secondly, I just want to make a quick disclaimer. Like, as we talk about the end times, um, I could be wrong, okay? I, I think all of us would do well to approach this subject with as much humility as possible. Uh, so I don't want to, uh, you know, pretend that, but, but I do believe that the preponderance of the biblical evidence points to what we're talking about uh, today. And and that, again, we're not going to get caught up in, in a lot of the details, which is where a lot of confusion happens. But the big idea, I think, is pretty clear. And though it may be new to some of us, I, I would challenge you, if that is true, to uh, search the Scriptures and study the Scriptures rather than, you know, bucking against it because it doesn't go with your tradition or what you've been taught, perhaps. So I invite you to study the Scriptures. And, and maybe that's for you, instead of a question about the series, maybe you just want to connect and, and have some guidance on how to begin that study. So you can send that question in as well, and we'll be glad to direct you and kind of help you with some resources. So let's get started. Uh, Revelation 21. So last week we looked at the resurrection and its implications for the coming of the kingdom, that Christ had to conquer the enemy on the cross and then was raised in victory to make the kingdom possible, that we were dead in our sins and that dead people don't come to life without the resurrection of Christ breathing that new life into him, that that's what he's doing in the work of the resurrection. And it, and it launches, the, it, it consummates and, and allows the kingdom to go forward. And in that passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul affirmed that what we mentioned earlier, that if you want to like change or remove the impact of the resurrection and what God is doing at the end, that we're in danger of compromising the whole gospel message and really the heart and the nature and the substance of Christianity. 
And so he also talked about, you know, he began to talk about some of the, the physical implications of the resurrection for not just Jesus, but for us. And, and he began to kind of draw some of those out, which we're going to look at today from a different angle. We're not going to pack, go back through 1 Corinthians 15, but it's going to sort of be the culmination of, of what Paul began to talk about there, our bodies being sown perishable and raised imperishable and that sort of thing. And so uh, let's look at, at um, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. We'll start here. Um, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That doesn't mean uh, there's no more bodies of water. The sea, um, in, in biblical times, really referred to um, the, the source of earthly rebellion, chaos, and danger. It was symbolic, which a lot of revelation is. That's part of the, the, the trouble in understanding it. It's not a chronological uh, order of events, and it's not all. There, there's some. It's 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 tough to kind of unpack, but but the sea refers to the source of earthly rebellion, chaos, and danger, um, from which the beast emerged. We see that from earlier in Revelation and Daniel seven. And so this is a source of rebellion that will no longer threaten God's creation um, and its perfection. So that that's sort of what we're talking about there. It won't. It doesn't mean there won't be bodies of water. Uh, in verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from, from the throne. So if you don't know much about Revelation, this is, this is future prophecy. So much of the Bible in the Old Testament is prophecy about what God is going to do, looking ahead. And then that's fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus and what he did do. And that's part of the beauty of, of our faith is that all these things were predicted hundreds of years, thousands of years, sometimes before Christ came and then he fulfilled them all. And then in the New Testament, we have the story of how Jesus did that. We have instructions on, on how to you know, operate as a church in this age. And then we have one more book of prophecy, which is Revelation. And, and so uh, I've mentioned before that most of Jesus' disciples were martyred. They were killed for their faith, except one guy, and that was Jesus' best friend, John. And it wasn't because they didn't try. They tried to kill that guy. In fact, they boiled him one time, and he just, it just didn't work. Like, God just kept him alive. So they, end up, they didn't know what else to do with him, so they sent him out on an island. They just exiled him. And uh, little did they know, God had a, a plan for that. So at, on this island, God, uh, Jesus showed up and gave John this revelation of what was to come. And that's how we go the book of Revelation. And so he's sh- showing John sort of the, the last chapter, how this story is going to end, this great and epic story that God has been writing throughout history. And so in this moment, he's showing him these things. And what we see is something perhaps different, as the video alluded to, than what we have been accustomed to. Instead of God coming, right, when, when the end comes, instead of him coming and getting all of his people off of this sinking ship and then, you know, throwing that, this whole earth away, right, so that we can go and be with him and then he's going to... Instead, what we see is, is heaven coming, coming down to earth. And the dwelling place of God is, is, is with man. And there's this... There's this Instead of us, you know, leaving to go be with him, it's him coming to be with us. And for some of us, that raises questions. Well, what does it mean when it says new? And, it, and we'll get to some of the other verses. But the, the, the word for new heaven, new earth there is, is the Greek word kainos, which is not neos, which is meaning like totally new in time and origin and out of nothing. But kainos is more new in state, more new in form, a fresh, remade uh, version of so it's not new in in time in version you know in terms of time and origin but new in its state new in its um like the, 
has been remade. So a, a remade or a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. And so some of you, uh, this is already uh, bringing up questions for you. And so I just want to just kind of uh, talk about some of those, because some of you are already thinking about, well, doesn't it talk about it all burning at some point? And so, yes, it does in Second Peter 3, and I want to look at that just briefly. It does talk about when the day of the Lord will come, it'll be like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the heavens and the works that are in it will be exposed. And it's going to talk a little bit more about that. But I want to just, that, if you, if you kind of, again, study the Bible and what, what's, what's being... Um, explained here in context is, A, if you remember, like back in Genesis 6, God destroyed the earth, didn't he? He did that by a flood. Does that mean that he literally like got rid of this earth and brought in a new one? No, right? Like we all understand that he, when he destroyed the earth, he, he brought a flood upon it and all the things that were evil, like it was all destroyed in a sense, and, and it was started over. It was remade. It was renewed. So it wasn't destroyed. It's been thrown away and, and a whole new planet made, but rather refined. And so and God says, I'm never going to do that again, but I'm going to do it by fire next time. And so this idea of fire throughout the Scripture is consistently not used to destroy. right? This idea of fire throughout Scripture is used to what? Refine. Right? To burn away imperfections, to, to bring about the purest form. And so a lot of older versions of that passage there in Second Peter, Peter will say annihilate. I like the ESV much better because it says it will be exposed. That the, the Greek word there is where we get our, our word eureka, um, which is this, this, this finding out, this exposing of of this, it says to be found out would be another way to, to sort of translate it. And so, yes, there will be a fire, but it will be a refining fire that will sort of get rid, not sort of, it will totally get rid of all of the evil, imperfection, sin, and all of the things that have destroyed God's creation the way that he meant for it to be will be done away with, and this will be a remade, a renewed earth. And, and heaven is coming down to dwell with us. And so um, others of you are, are thinking perhaps about other verses and other songs, and maybe you're thinking about what about, what about my mansion over the hilltop, right? What, what, I thought we were leaving here to go and be there, and, and that comes from a passage in John when Jesus is telling his disciples that, hey, John 14 says, uh, in my father's house there are many Rooms, some translate that to mansions. Uh, the, really, the, the word there is monet, dwelling place. And, and what Jesus says is, there's, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I'll come back and receive you unto myself. And so a lot of people have this idea of, again, getting us out of this, this deal, getting us off of this earth and going and to be in the place. And, and that's not, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, there, there are some nuances there. It's not that we won't be with Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. But this idea of dwelling place there is, is not this mansion, our, our final resting place. That word, Monet, is really more of a temporary dwelling place, sort of like an a, a, a inn along the way that you would stop off on. It would be a, a temporary uh, dwelling place. It's not the final d- dwelling place. And so what that means is, some of you, are, again, what happens when we die? Like, are we not, like, doesn't the Bible say that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? And it absolutely does, and I am not disputing that. 
Okay? When, when, for our loved ones who have passed away, for those of us thinking ahead about our death, when we leave here and the, the coming of Christ hasn't come, the new heaven, like we do indeed go to be present with the Lord. That is not being disputed here. Uh, Jesus calls that uh, not usually heaven. He calls it paradise. And theologians would call it sort of an intermediate state. Doesn't preach as good. I'll give you that, right? Your kids are asking where grandma is. Well, she went to be in the intermediate state, right? There's, it's not as compelling, but this is idea of like, yes, with Jesus. Yes, like, and really, you think about this, like heaven is wherever God is, like wherever God is, right? It's where God is manifesting and, and revealing himself most fully. That's the big idea of heaven. Honestly, there will be some physicality, and we're going to look at that in a bit, but, but really, like, we're going to be with him. And so, yes, it will be heaven in that sense, we'll be with God, but it's not the final hope of our Christian faith. It's not all that God is intending to do. There is more to the story, and this is what Revelation 21 is, is painting for us, that that new heaven, new earth, like that heaven is coming down, the, the new city, that Jerusalem is coming down to dwell, to be on the earth, and God will dwell with his people, the dwelling place. The video did such a good job of, of unpacking that for us, that, and, then, and this says the dwelling place of God is with man. This is huge. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's a restoration back to what? Eden, right? Back to how things were supposed to be. This is good, good news. And it's the, the, here's the other thing. It's the culmination. It's, it's Eden plus. Because see, Eden God made Adam and Eve, and he, and he set them out over a world that was wild and untamed. But it was good. It was wild and untamed. And he, and he, and he tells them to go forth and, and to subdue it. And so think about this. If you're thinking about, okay, why, is God just going to throw this earth away and, and start over? Like, think about God's posture toward his creation. Think back to Genesis 1 and 2 particularly Genesis 1, God creates things, right? He speaks them into existence, and then it says he sees them, sees what he's made, and he says, what about it? It's good. A lot of times we jump to that sixth day when he makes man, and he says it's very good, and we're talking about us being the pinnacle of creation, and that's not wrong, and we should do that, but we need to be reminded sometimes that there's five and a half days before we arrive where God has created this world, his creation, and he is proud of it. Right? Like he's pleased with it. It is good, he says. Right? Like the create all that he's made, it is a good thing. We see that he cares about the earth. He cares about the creation all throughout. We'll see in Romans later that, that creation itself is, is longing for the redemption, the day when Jesus would come and, and bring redemption to this world. And, and then to, to carry on this idea of physicality, like we have the incarnation, which is Jesus himself, which John says at the beginning of his gospel, that he's always been there, right? He was there in the beginning. He was the one that made all things, and by him all things were made. And, and in the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then what? The Word became flesh. This is God entering in and not just like sort of like, you know, taking on a body and beginning to animate it. Like he becomes a man, fully man and fully God. And it's incredible. And in that, the incarnation screams that this material world, this creation world, our physical bodies matter. It's not a throwaway earth. It is a renewing project. 
And when Jesus comes and takes on flesh, he's entering in to that. And then he dies a very physical, again, even before that, though, the ministry that he does, ministry of physicality, right? He's feeding the hungry. He's healing the sick. He's beginning to turn the world right side up again, right? And then he dies a physical death. Right? They, 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 his disciples, like some of them needed to see that and touch and feel his body, right? And the holes in it. And then he, he's resurrected, the physical resurrection, not just the spiritual, like, you know, ghost-like thing. Jesus proves that by eating some meals with the guys. It's a physical resurrection. And then it gets better. Like, there's a physical ascension, right? When Jesus ascends into heaven and acts, like, the angel shows, like, they're all like, they literally see him leave on a cloud, and the angel shows up and goes, hey, why y'all looking up there? The same Jesus in the same manner is going to come back again. What does that mean? In a physical sense. Like, Jesus has kept his body. He didn't just teleport off the earth and then shift back into his spirit. Like, no, he, he, his physical body exists today in the presence of God, seated on the throne with the nail holes in his hands and his feet, with the hole in his side. Like, the scars are there. Our Jesus has a body, and we will too. So when we look at the new heaven and new earth, it is Eden, but it is more fully realized. Because again, he made Adam and Eve and set them forth to, to go and rule the earth with him, right? His image bearers. God was the ruler over all the earth. You go and be my image bearers. You co-rule this thing with me. It all got messed up and we thought we were God and there's a whole mess of things. But this is a reestablishing of that where it is not just Eden in the sense of we're there with God. It's like the earth is now fully cultivated. Right? He set them forth to go and like, not just have families and multiply, but to build houses, to build roads and infrastructure, to create art, to create music and poetry and things like, like to, to cultivate cities, to build. Like, God wanted all of that, like, it, his people ruling on the earth. And so this is the final culmination of that. And you'll begin to see the implications of how this matters for us down the road. And we'll talk about that in coming weeks. But here's the... Here's the we, we got to just kind of apply this today. So uh, here's why it's restoration, not replacement. So that's kind of the big idea, that God is going to restore this earth, not just replace it, right? It's the same earth. There's continuity from this world into the new heavens, new earth, and, and, and it'll be transformed, right? Paul says much the same way that you put a seed in the ground and it's in one form, right? And when it dies, it, it, it produces something totally different, but there's continuity there, right? It's the same seed and it and it, but there's that, it's hard. Listen, you need to know that, that John here, all they're, like, they're struggling. They, they don't have words. Like, the language doesn't serve it, like, describing all that they know here. Like, and so there, it's this struggle to communicate all of this. But there's, but there's imagery and symbols, and, and that's, that's the big idea. So, um, so restoration, not replacement. Why does this matter? Verses 4 through 8, because we're going to see it gives us a better a better hope than just getting to our choir robe and singing forever. It is a better hope. Let's read verses 4 through 8. What happens when he brings this new earth? This is, this is incredible. And this is incredibly practical, incredibly physical, incredibly material. Like, it's not less than what we know now. It is very much greater than. And listen to this. Verse 4. He will do what? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We long for that. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Listen, doesn't this give us a better story to tell? 
Like, there's no one in the world that doesn't want this. It doesn't matter what they believe about Jesus or their faith. Like, everybody wants this, don't they? They want pain to go away. They want the tears to go away. The, the in, like, we're going to see in just a moment that justice is going to be served. Like, everybody longs for this and wants this, no matter what they believe about Jesus. And so this gives us a, a better story to tell. Is that We get to tell them how this is going to be accomplished, how their desires, what they're longing for is not, like, just unique to them. It's all of us. We're all longing for that because it's what we were made for. And the issue is sin. Jesus has dealt with that. And one day we can experience shalom again, peace. Back to how things are supposed to be. Verse 5, and he was seated on the throne and said, behold, I am making all things new. Isn't that good? And And he also said, write this down. But these words are trustworthy and true. You need to remember this. You need to focus on this. You need to know this. I am, he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. My story is complete. This is what we've been moving toward in the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. All your longings, all your hopes, everything in you that is that is sensed that this world is not what it should be. It is sensed that, man, there's pain here. There's a longing here. It will be fulfilled far greater than you can ever imagine. And without payment, you know, you're not having to earn it. Like, it will just be. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son now. That, that conquering is, is about persevering with Jesus. It's about claiming Jesus as your Savior and trusting in him. That's how we conquer. We conquer through Jesus, not through our own works, okay? So you can't read this outside of the context of the rest of Scripture. We conquer through trusting in Jesus as our Savior. That's confessing, Lord, I don't have it. In fact, I'm a hopeless mess, a sinner who has rebelled against you, and I need a Savior. Jesus, will you be that Savior? You you are the Lord of my life. When that happens, we will conquer, right? Jesus says, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. So for he who conquers, this is our reward. This is what we will see. But I said there's a better story. We have, this gives us a better hope and a better story to tell. But there's also urgency to why we should tell it. Because verse 8 says, But the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexual, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Remember, remember the verses, Ephesians, like Repeatedly, Paul will remind us, like, such were some of you. That doesn't mean if you've done this, you can't. It means if you haven't been renewed, you haven't been remade, you haven't experienced the restoration that Jesus gives through his work on the cross. If you have refused to let yourself be healed by the Savior of the Lord, or the Savior of the world who is the Lord Jesus, like, if you've refused that, then you get what you've asked for. And you'll get to live forever in that state. And it'll be a horrible state. And so there's urgency to this. There's urgency to this message. But it is indeed a better message. Amen? So it gives us a better hope. Romans 8 paints this picture for us. Listen, if you're here, and go back to the question I asked earlier, do you long for heaven? Like, think about it this way. Like, the, the pains, the struggles, all that life brings on you, like it, it, should, it, should allow, it should make us long for this day 
when Jesus comes, and it should make us excited for this experience. Romans 8 says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God when we will rule as we're supposed to, is what it's saying. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is what he's going to do. He's describing this this day in Revelation 21. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but all, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. It's this already, but not yet. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, we have new life. There's new creation in us, and yet we're, we're groaning and longing for the day when that's brought to its completion. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see, and we wait for it with patience. This is our hope. This is our good news, that this is where this is headed. It's not just get all you can out of this life because, you know, one day it's going to be over, and, you you know, if you get to the good place, then you get to sing some songs in a choir robe forever. But if not, you're going to burn in, you know, a lake of fire forever. And even though we're not excited about that one, really don't want that one, right? And so it's not that, right? It's so much more. It's this culmination of everything we love here, everything we, 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 we don't want to leave here. It will not be less than. It will be so much greater than. It will be the fullness of all that we've ever longed for and enjoyed here on earth, right? I had some steak this weekend with my wife. Steak's going to be in heaven, just so you know. It's good, right? It's good physical nature. We will know one another. No, there won't be marriage in the sense that we have, but we will still be male, female. We'll still recognize one another. And it won't be like we won't experience this loss of like, oh man, heaven's really good, but I really miss sex. Nope. It's going to be so much more than, right? That, that sex itself is given as a, as a signpost to point us to the incredible joy and ecstasy that we will experience being in the presence of the living God. Like, it's, it's, it's there as, a, as an image of what is to come. And so, yes, everything that we long for will be fully known and fully experienced. C.S. Lewis talks about the colors, like the greens will be greener, right? The reds will be redder. Like, it will be this full experience of all that we experience here, the physical realm. It's going to be amazing. So it gives us a better hope, a better story to tell. And then lastly, it gives us a better purpose. I want to look at the last few verses. Um, verses uh, 9 through 12, and then we'll read the end of well, 22 on. Then came one of the seven angels who are the seven bowls of the seven plagues. And this again, some of this stuff can be confusing, and, um, and we'll address some of that on the last day of this series. And he spoke to me and saying, come, I will show you the bride and the wife of the Lamb. This is the church. This is incredible imagery. This is when we're brought there before the Father, the kingdom fully conquered. It's, it's incredible. And he carried me away in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's, it's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And it's going to go on to describe the physical nature of the city of God. It's incredible. And you should read that later, but we're going to skip down to 22. And it, and it says, and I saw no temple in the city. Where was the temple? What was that used for? That was for God to come and dwell, right? To be contained so people could come and worship him. But there's no temple in this new city. It's not necessary. For it is the temple of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. 
The city itself is the temple, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will, there will be no night there, and they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter in, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here's, here's the point of heaven, is that God is there. That's what makes it heaven. That's what makes us sing. Not because we're just like, that's, we're sentenced to just an internal choir situation where we stand and sing. No, no, we will sing out of an absolute response to his beauty, his holiness, and just his godness, right? Like it'll just be a response that's involuntary. We will sing as a response to who he is. God is there. This, this, this language of, of come, let me show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This is what he's been doing. This is the culmination of this pursuit of God pursuing his people, God pursuing his bride, Jesus coming and dying for his bride. And then, and, and like, that becoming the church, and, and one day it's all going to culminate, and it's this culmination of all that he's been doing throughout the scripture, his pursuit of a people, and the point is that he is there, and he is the king. And another common confusing thing around this topic is this idea of, a, well, well, don't we get raptured? Doesn't he come back to take us? And then some other stuff happens, and, and, and again, uh, I want to just, from a pretty high view, just give you one explanation for that that, that kind of I don't believe that that idea is actually biblical but it comes from an uh, it comes from first Thessalonians when it talks about Jesus going to come back and then we'll meet him in the air and then and so that that's where that idea comes from and also in Matthew 24 when it talks about one will be left and one will be taken and we often think the one is taken is the Christian who's going to be with God when I think the Bible will actually would flip that and say no the one who's 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 taken is the evil one who's being removed and the one who's left will will join God in his new creation but I want you to hear uh, from Philippians 3, 20 and 21, and I want you to think about something that I think is really, really awesome as we, our last point today here of a better purpose. But and it says this, and this is common language. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, our citizenship is in heaven, right? You've heard that, right? And we've got songs about this world is not our home, right? And we, we think about that. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, okay? So it doesn't say, we, we hope to get there someday. It's saying, no, no, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, our Savior is going to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So here's the idea. From there, our citizenship, we, we belong to that realm now, that world. Our, we are no longer part of this world that is consumed by sin and lust and all of those things. Instead, we belong to this, the kingdom of heaven. We're citizens of heaven, and from there, we await a Savior who's coming to fully recognize his rule and bring his rule here on earth. So from there, we await his coming rule and reign. So First Thessalonians talks about him coming and we meeting him in the sky. And a lot of times we think that's to take us away. I would su- submit to you that actually in this day and age, this language would not have been as confusing to these people. Because why? When, when kings would go out, when champions and, and conquerors and armies would go out and conquer, and then when they, when they would conquer an enemy, when they would come back into the city, there was messengers that had come earlier and said that, that, that they're on their way, and people didn't just stand by and wait for him to arrive. They went out and met them. They went out and met that coming king and gathered around him and, and created this, this incredible entrance, this parade-like thing where the king is here, and they would march him back into the city in, 
celebration of his rule and his reign. And I think that's what we're talking about there. When, when those of us who are left here, Jesus is about to bring that refining fire to the earth. Yes, we meet him in the sky and we're bringing, like we're going to be a part of the train and the celebration that brings in the king to rule and reign on his new earth. Does that make a little bit more sense? So we're going to meet him in the sky and then we're going to, he's going to usher in the kingdom. And what that looks like and burning it away, like it'll happen quickly and it'll be, but it'll be decisive. It'll be absolute, but Jesus is going to come and rule here. So this transforms our, pur- our purpose, right? Because if this is just an escape deal, right? If Jesus just came to make a way for us all to get off of this thing, then we're on a sinking ship and we're just trying to tell everybody, hey, there's, light, there's lifeboats over here. This thing is going down. You, might, you, you need to get on a lifeboat so that you, know, you can, whatever. But this, this changes it. Because instead of that being true, our citizenship is in heaven. And yes, we're sojourners in this world. This world is not our home in that sense that we're not comfortable here. We're longing for something more. We're all longing for the new heaven and the new earth. But instead of being those who are just telling people how to get off of this sinking ship, instead, it's more like we're citizens of heaven and we're colonizing this whole deal, right? That we're, we're, we're bringing more and more of the kingdom to bear. We're colonizing earth in anticipation for the day when the king is going to come and live and rule forever. Isn't that good news? That the king is coming. That's what, the, that's what the point is. The king is coming one day. He's coming here. So we're going to prepare this thing for him. We're going to tell as many people as we can that they can have the salvation. They can be pardoned and they can experience this, the restoration of all things. Like the king is coming. And if they don't, then they will be his enemies. And there's a whole other you know, list of news that they need to know. But like, that's our job. Like we're colonizing earth. John Piper said our job is to take the beachheads and advance as far as we can. And one day he'll come and complete this deal. Right? That's what we're here. And that changes our purpose. That changes what we're here to do, like that he has set his kingdom forth to gradually push the darkness out. Not to get us out of the darkness, but to push the darkness out of this world gradually and more and more fully. So the incarnation is the launch of an invasion, right? It's not just him coming to make a way so he could sneak us all out of this thing. No, no, he's launching an invasion on this this enemy-occupied territory called our world. Right? And it doesn't end with Jesus. In fact, you remember he tells his disciples, hey, I got to go. And I know you're going to be sad about that, but I'm going to send you a helper. And it's actually better that I go so that I could send the helper. Why? Because his incarnation continues as he indwells his believers. Right? Instead of just being one Jesus in one place, it becomes Jesus' people indwelled with his spirit. And the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That we advance the kingdom one person at a time, an increasing amount in, in us, and we'll talk about this in going forward, but the kingdom, we, we're continuing the incarnation, we're continuing the invasion into enemy-occupied territory, and one day the king is coming, and he'll set all things to right. But in the, in the meantime, we work to that end. And so we're going to look at that in the next few weeks. What does that look like for us to work to that end? What is our role in that? For today, though, I want to end this way, and I just want to, I want us to just let this idea, the new heaven, the new earth, that he's going to remake, restore, and remake all things. He's making all things. I want us to take heart in that. I want us to find joy in that. I want us to let our hearts leap in that. Because no matter what you're experiencing today, no matter the pain, the struggle that your family, I know many of you are waiting on test results. You're, you're wondering whether this is going to okay. You're, want, you're worried about this. Your own body. Like, I know that that tension is real. And, and, and that's what Paul says. Listen. Listen. 
it won't always be this way. And it won't even compare. What you've gone through here won't even compare to what we're going to experience there. So we have a better hope. Right? And we have a purpose in the meantime. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. But I want us to just let this be true and let our hearts. I want to read the way that the whole book ends. The whole book being the Bible. It ends by saying, Surely I am coming soon. This is what Jesus tells John. Coming. John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. If your heart can't say that today with joy, I invite you to come during our our response time. I invite you to come. Jesus wants to do a work in you where you can resonate with that, where you have peace with that because he is your peace. He is your wholeness. He is your healing. He is your hope. So if that's not you, you can come. And I mean, if that's not you like forever, like you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to come. We'd love to introduce you. And if that's not you just today, you've got stuff You've just got stuff. You don't have to apologize for that. We don't ever want you to put on your face. Like, you can groan. You can lament. You can long for that. That's okay. There's space for that, too. So that'll be our time of response. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for who you are and what you've done. And we can't even, like, we're not even to the tip of the iceberg of what you've done, Lord. But yet we're overwhelmed and we don't have words. We don't have language to fully capture it all. But Lord, would we, I pray that you would work in our midst and in our hearts of each individual here and as a church and make us a people that can say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. So whatever that takes, Lord, for some, they need to surrender and bow their knee to you for the first time and be saved. Would you grant them that this morning? For others, Lord, we're, we're worried about life and our bodies are failing and our families are suffering and we, and we don't have control over this and it, and it makes us long for the day when every tear is wiped away and there's no more crying, there's no more pain, and death is no more. Help us to find hope. We ask this in Jesus' name.